Welcome to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm Melissa Friedenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. Pearl Planning is a financial planning and investment management company located in Dexter and Gross Point, Michigan. We work with clients all around the country. The purpose of our podcast is to explore specific financial topics and provide advice you can use in your everyday life. Welcome back to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. It's Melissa Joy here today, and I am so glad to be joined by Ashley Waddell-Tingstad, who is the founder and owner of Treetown Law, PLLC, and Ann Arbor Estate Planning Law Firm. They are focused on the unique needs of young families. As a seasoned attorney, mother, and a person who has experienced both sudden loss and loss after a prolonged illness, Ashley brings legal acumen, warmth, and compassion to her work with families. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa. I am so glad you're here. We're both moms, working moms, and, you know, as we've discussed your approach to estate planning, which estate planning is basically those documents you need. A lot of people think about a will or a trust. I know that you bring it a human-centered approach, which I find refreshing. And so I wanted to talk to you today, just, you know, kind of professional to professional, but also with the perspective of being a mom, um, about the documents that you may need for your children, whether they're minors or young adults. Absolutely. Um, I definitely bring um, my perspective as a mother Um, even before my perspective as a lawyer to this work, I've been a litigator for almost 10 years. And um, in the midst of that, after having two children, I realized that I didn't have an estate plan and I was a lawyer. (laughs) And it's not uncommon. (laughs) I know it's not uncommon. In fact, it's most young families um, with minor children do not have estate plans people can sometimes, both families can sometimes say, well, I don't have much of an estate. What do I have? Um, And a lot of estate planners look at young families and say, well, you, you know, you, you're probably have more debt than you do assets at this point. You might have a, might have a house, you might be still renting, but really, really, really important at this point in our lives that we know and we can provide the best outcomes for our minor children and our young adult children, if we aren't able to be there to hold their hand and take care of them. And so um, the first most important document that that parents need to have is a guardianship uh, designation, where parents designate the permanent legal guardian of their minor children. Um, If if parents... um, pass without having that document, it really ends up being up, it ends up being up to a judge, uh, a judge that doesn't know your children, a judge that doesn't know your family, um, to make that decision for your children. And so that's number one, most important. Well, um, I find people <laughs> get intimidated by that though, oh, yeah, because there's no right answer for who should take oh, care yeah. of your children if you were to die unexpectedly. Yeah. And it's very flawed to find the right answer, but 
I, it, it's both one of the first most urgent needs, but also one of the biggest hurdles. And I tell people, you know, being directionally correct or getting closer to the right answer, sometimes it's just what you have to live with and you can always amend it if, if circumstances change. Absolutely. And the other piece of it that I've found is that, you know, estate planning is a process. It's really a mental and emotional process as much as a legal process. And I've found that when I'm able to sit down with families and talk with them about their values, about their children, about their family dynamics, it's almost like when parents first think of like, who should I be my guardian? There's just a mental block. It's Mm -hmm. just a big, hard question. It's like, ah, I can't think about this. But then when I love having those conversations and I find that the sort of answer becomes clear as we talk and as parents have a chance to really process this question. And so I really, I really enjoy that process um, a lot with families. If you're with a professional that can help you to get through the things that are already decided, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's a huge part mm-hmm. so that they can tease out the information that's just um, obvious Right. And then you can um, refine the conversation mm-hmm. to what's left undecided. And right. so that takes skill. Um, and that's exactly what you're describing as a process where you can kind of check through the list and maybe there's a parking lot for some, some portions that you need to deliberate more or perhaps need some consultation about what's right. right. Um, so kudos for kind of getting people through that. Yep. And so the next, um, the next important thing is that, you know, if, if parents pass and leave minor children, um, the children without a will or without a trust or without any documents, the children would receive their inheritance when they turn 18. And I personally would not have been a good a person like at 18, I should not have received an inheritance. I it certainly wouldn't made it past my 19th birthday. Um, <laughs> so, and I think that most parents recognize that. And so um, a document that really lays out both how parents want their children's inheritance to be spent for their care, and then also how and when parents want that the children to receive distributions from the principal of that um, of that inheritance. And some parents say, well, you know, I don't have any inherent things for my kids to inherit. Um, we do have our, uh, if you have retirement accounts, um, we, we do have life insurance policies. Um, and then, you know, there's always the possibility of if there's a tragic passing of settlement that may, um, go to the estate of the parent, and then be inherited by the children. So it's it's definitely something that's important to think about. Of those, course, those, and, and that's uh, the document that you put that information into right. is either a trust or a trust that's created through the will? Yes. So there's, yeah, there's two kinds of trusts. One would be a testamentary trust, um, and that would be created through the will. That would go through probate, and then it would be created um through the will, essentially. And then there's the living trust. And the living trust is an opportunity for families to go ahead and put their assets into the living trust during their lifetime so that there's sort of like very little or actually, you know, if any transaction costs, um, should that the management of that trust go from the parent trustees 
to a third party trustee that's appointed by the parents um, upon their passing. So it's the living trust is a way to either reduce or eliminate the need for the courts probate. to be involved yes, with probate. Absolutely right. It makes it really quick, and and there's no there's no delay with probate. You know, you don't have to wait six or nine months or a year for those assets to then free up and be available for the children's guardian to use in their benefit. Um, it's seamless and it's instantaneous. So that's a real benefit of a living trust. That's perfect. Are there any other documents that parents of minor children may want to have drafted with an attorney? Yes. Um, in fact, I have created two plans that are, are part of my comprehensive plans that are specific to minor children and specific to children who've young adults who've turned 18. I keep calling them children. They're <laughs> young adults. Um, so the, the child protection plan has two documents in it that are pretty unique um, in the estate planning world. One is, I call it an emergency guardianship document. It can also be, it's technically a springing power of attorney. So what this means is that, um, I always say to people, this is a very low probability of event, but also could be catastrophic should it occur. So we want to plan for it. I, as a parent, don't want to leave anything to chance. And I think that a lot of families feel the same way. So should, let's say, for example, you appoint as your permanent legal guardian, your brother who lives in California. And let's say parents are in a car accident on a Friday night. So as a practical matter, the children may not have, there may not be a permanent legal guardianship hearing, um, emergency hearing in the court until Monday morning. And in the meantime, you know, your permanent legal guardian's traveling, maybe they're on vacation in Thailand, you just never know where, where things may be. But there could be a 48 hour or more delay between the time that children need to have a guardian and the permanent one can be in place. And so what happens during that time is that the state is responsible for um, taking custody of the children and making sure that they're safe. And that can look like temporary foster care. I personally cannot imagine my, my grieving children being placed in the home of strangers, even wonderful foster parent strangers. Certainly not when we have family and friends who could step in. And so I, I recommend that parents designate a family or a family member or friend who lives within 20 to 30 minutes to be the temporary emergency guardian. And so that person would be designated in this bringing power of attorney. The power of attorney goes into effect should the parents be unable to be located, incapacitated, or dead. And that person then ha can show this document to first responders and say, I have power of attorney, I can take custody of these children and provide for their care until their permanent legal guardian can be appointed or their parents can return to, you know, caring for them and taking them. And so that is the emergency guardianship document. The second document in the child protection plan is a um, patient advocate document. And this just gets the person that you designate 
often it's the same person as the emergency guardian, um, to the ability to make medical decisions for children and seek medical care for them, psychological care um, in that period of time. So let's say there's a car accident and the kid is in the car too, but parents aren't in a position to um, consult with doctors and make medical decisions for the child. Your emergency um, patient advocate would be able to step in and do that. And so those are, those are just some ways that parents can really provide for any situation for their kids. And then the final piece of this plan is a wallet card. There's a company called DocuBank um, that I work with, and they have wallet cards called Miners Matter Wallet Cards. Um, the wallet cards have a pin on them that an emergency uh, a first responder can use or anyone can use to look up these documents right there on the screen. So they're available immediately. And also this, this card includes information about the children's emergency contacts, their pediatrician, any allergies they may have, any medical conditions they may have. Um, and th that kind of information can also be uploaded in more detail to the DocuBank cloud. Um, so that can be very helpful, even apart from a tragic, you know, situation like we're discussing. I would send those cards with my kids to sleepaway camp. If parents go on vacation, the um, babysitter or grandparent, whoever's keeping them, can have that card available so that no matter what happens, medical providers will have and first responders will have all of that really important information at their fingertips. Well, that's a good example of, you know, we have the old school. I just was looking at it. Insider covered. I show the babysitters. Here's a list of important numbers in uh -huh. case you need to reach somebody who's not us. And so it's kind of taking your documents into the 21st century and combining estate planning with just good emergency planning. Absolutely. And I think that we're going to see more and more of those digital and um, they're not futuristic. They're current <laughs> solutions. <laughs> Um, in an area, state planning is a lot of brick and mortar. They're, you know, kind of yeah. learning on the job for e-signature with COVID-19 right now. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there's a lot of opportunity to, you know, think through things and plan things in a, in a way that would um, really help in the moments that they're needed. Absolutely. And I think that for me, um, I can't, as an estate planner, just create a state plan for someone and send them out the door with it. I want to make sure that it's going to be available in the moments that they need it. And I want, and, and I've spent a lot of time trying to think about protocols and policies and researching ways to make sure that these documents are accessible, to make sure that everybody who needs to have a copy does have a copy. And so I do a lot of counseling of my clients um, for that. And DocuBank has really you know, filled a, a need um, mm -hmm. to make those documents available. So they're not just in your glove compartment and, you know, they're available they're not, on the cloud. <laughs> let's be real. These documents are not going to be in anybody's glove compartment. Know, they're sitting in a forgotten box that got moved from the file cabinet from yeah. 10 years ago. So, <laughs> so I think this is really valuable in, in talking about a child before they turn 
um, 18, but what happens when you're sending your kids off to school or they're young adults where they have reached the age of majority, but in many cases, their financial lives are either yet to be established or still very much intertwined with um, mom and dad. Right. The bank of mom and dad, let's say. <laughs> what type of documents? Of course, you need consent from Absolutely. your adult child to help them out. And so that's a prerequisite. You can't just say we're taking over. <laughs> right. But once you have that permission, what do you suggest um, should be discussed? Absolutely. So I also provide an 18 plus guidance plan. And I like calling, I, you know, I like that the name guidance, because really at this point, parents and young adults are now working together, um, not as much in the authority relationship. Uh, the law provides a lot of rights to young adults um, for autonomy and privacy over their health information, their educational records, their financial information. And so um, talking through a guidance plan with your young adult can be a wonderful process of really learning how to problem solve together. So the young adult, the 18 plus guidance plan includes four documents that reflect the fact that once your young adult or your child turns 18, um, a parent's no longer have access to their uh, medical records, to their financial records, to their educational records. And so it's especially important when kids are moving out and going, you know, off to college somewhere or moving to another city or state um, that parents have a way to be able to access information should they need it, should their children need that kind of support. So there's a financial power of attorney, which is part of this plan. Um, and that financial power of attorney can be as comprehensive or as limited as the parent and young adult choose. So that's a good uh, process to go through for parents and young adults. Um, it's important, should a young adult be sick? Should they have some type of a problem where they can't manage their own finances? Parents would be able to step in, make sure their bills are paid, their rent, etc. cetera. Um, so it's a great thing to have. For young adults. Uh, the second piece is a patient advocate form. So I remember I was actually hospitalized when I was in college. And back in the day, um, HIPAA was a thing, but it wasn't like as stringent as it is now. Yep. So I remember my parents showed up to the ER and they were able to get the information that they needed, but that would not be the case today. Um, so you want your, you want to Everybody needs a patient advocate form, you know, for someone to be able to make decisions for them, should they not be able to. Um, so parents and young adults can execute these patient advocate forms to make sure that if a young adult is really sick, they're admitted to the hospital or what have you, that parents can call, that they can show up, that they can be the person to make those decisions for their, and also a HIPAA authorization form. That allows parents to have access to medical information from everything from billing to making appointments to test results to just calling and saying, how's my kid, you know? And so those are really wonderful to have. So there's and, two, you could have the authorization to make decisions without the access to information. So you well, want both available? You do want both. Um, so with the patient advocate form, it does include the ability to access information so that the patient advocate can fulfill their role. 
So that's sort of embedded into the patient advocate form. But let's say there's a situation where, so patient advocate forms are really about like when a person is incapacitated and can't make medical decisions for themselves. Whereas HIPAA authorization is more about information sharing. So I've tried to make, for example, I've tried to make a doctor's appointment for my husband and you know, I can't, I need a, you know, so it can be very cumbersome for um, parents who are used to doing that for their kids or their kids are just starting to transition to, you know, take control of their own medical situation. And, you know, depending on the, on the, on the kid and the, any medical issues that may arise, yeah. um, it can be really burdensome without a HIPAA authorization. So I would, I, re, I always do both and I always suggest that both are done. Then what about, um, what other documents might you need? You would want to consider a release of educational records. So under the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act, parents without the permission of their young adults don't have access to post-secondary records. Um, So some, you know, this may or may not be relevant for every family, but if parents are paying for college and they want to make sure, you know, if they have any reason to want to check in on their kids' progress or just sometimes it, it's even as simple as like, you know, taking care of bills, making sure if their kid needs to withdraw from a class, et cetera, that that's done properly. Um, and so those that kind of release can be really helpful as well. Um, and then finally, we do have wallet cards that are specific for uh, young adults. And those wallet cards can be super helpful. Your kid is in a new city, doesn't know many people, they show up in the ER, this wallet card is in there, on their person, in their wallet, can be really helpful for first responders to be able to, you know, identify any pre-existing health conditions, any allergies, and figure out how to contact family members and, and emergency contacts. So another thing that I think about when we think of the transition from minors to um, age of majority is you as an, as a family or a parent may need to revisit the estate plan. It's a great time to say, okay, well the first, like you did all your homework and you know, back when your kids were younger and, and now you, you know, your financial planner or estate planning attorney says a third of your estate would go to junior at age 25. How does that sound to you? And oftentimes it's like, oh my gosh, no, (laughs) never say never. It just just depends on the family, but um, it's an important reminder. What everything we're describing here um, is typically, you know, there's a moment in time when you decide And the role of the financial planner or a good estate planner who stays in touch is to give you the touches to remind you to revisit. You don't need to change your estate plan each year, but you need to make sure that the information in there is relevant and keep it refreshed if if something has changed. Absolutely. And the law changes over time too. You're right. And so it's definitely, you know, there there are trigger points and trigger moments when people need to revisit their estate plan. And certainly when they're minor children are getting older when they kind of move into a new phase of childhood or into young adulthood is a is an important time you know some i'm i'm do i do planning for real families with really young children and they're sort of speculating as to when this 5 year old might be ready to get a third of their estate you know <laughs> excuse me but when you um 
yeah, when you sort of get to know your kid more and you say, well, this kid is very serious, very responsible. They're trying to start a business or, you know, they're like a tech entrepreneur. They're ready to have some money now or sooner rather than later. And there are ways that we can plan for those things and we can actually, you know, put protective provisions into estate plans. The sky's the limit really on how you can customize these things to really fit the needs and personality of your beneficiaries or your descendants. Well, and I always think that estate planning is a really important element or foundational element to your overall financial plan. In fact, Ashley, in many cases, people will hire me and say, I reached out because I really need an estate plan. And I'm like, well, (laughs) I really enjoy talking about um, all the planning that leads up to you creating the documents, but I will not be the person creating the documents, which they typically know, but it goes hand in hand with financial planning. So you could have a really well executed executed estate plan and and not update the titling of your accounts or your beneficiary right. designations so that it's in essence um, you know unable to be completed as planned. You may ha- be the parent of young children where you don't have a sizable estate yet and need to plan for your spouse or your child with life insurance in order to accommodate for that. There are so many elements go hand in hand with the other aspects and elements of financial planning. So in order to really have a holistic approach, you engaging with a thoughtful estate planner like yourself and doing the legwork of a true financial plan, they're both important, but they also satisfy the needs and allow a family to be much more thoughtful about their financial goals and their money. So it's, it's, great to have, you know, kind of the collaboration between a good estate planner and good financial planner. Absolutely. Financial planning is, is both a gift you give to your own family, right? You give to your own family unit, this Mm -hmm. setting aside time and planning and being thoughtful about where you're heading as a family, what your goals are. And an estate plan is really a gift to the people you leave behind, the people who will grieve you. Decisions that you make, right? That that you, that your family now doesn't have to make. And there's ways that you can provide for them um, and take a lot of that weight off of people's shoulders. You know, people are grieving. um, That's hard enough to deal with and dealing also with financial insecurity at the same time is very, very, very hard. And I've seen it happen. And I really want to help people take that time now to give that gift to their family to give that gift to themselves because it's so important. (laughs) Yeah. I had two thoughts on what you just said. First, I agree. And I would go one step further to say that first and foremost, financial planning is a gift to yourself Mm -hmm. because for so many of you who may be listening, who haven't started a journey of financial and estate planning, you have a list of to do's and the anxiety associated with knowing that you haven't gotten started or financial insecurity because you're just not sure how you're doing. And I see that across the spectrum in terms of incomes and ages and wealth, Mm -hmm. that there is less confidence. Mm -hmm. And so you're giving yourself the gift of confidence and the ability to be proactive in your financial decisions. Well, I loved this conversation. Ashley, how can people find more about you? I should mention you're an Ann Arbor-based estate planning attorney, if you didn't already get that from the name Treetown. Um, But tell me where people can find you. Sure. My website is www.treetownlaw.com. So you can find me there. You can actually schedule 
right on the website for a 15 minute complimentary call. We can talk about what you're, what you're concerned about, what you might need. You can also reach me by email at ashley at treetown.law.com. There's a contact form on the website. So at Treetown, we offer flat fee plans. So we agree to a fee up front. You can have unlimited calls and emails with me. I, I offer comprehensive plans. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope those of you who listen know a little bit more about how you need to be thinking about estate planning as a parent. You can access our first two seasons of this podcast on our website at www.pearlplan.com or on Spotify. If you're interested in learning more about Pearl Planning, feel free to sign up for our newsletter also found on our website.